Good morning and welcome to Riverside. I'm so glad all of you are here today. What an incredible day it is and it's been already. I'm so grateful we get to gather in this place and worship together today. I want to begin with this question. Have you ever been to maybe a game or a concert, a recital, a program, an award ceremony, anything like that for a kid in your life? If you've got kids, grandkids, if you love kids, if you've been around kids, you've done this, right? Yeah. You know what this is like. We go to these things and we see those kids. What I want you right now to do is I want you to remember a time like that where you showed up for a kid's event. Maybe it was your kid, your grandkid. Maybe it was another kid that matters and means a lot to you. I want you to remember what it felt like when they saw you there. Like how much it meant to them for you to physically show up, take your time and be there and be present. And I want you to remember, here's what I want you to remember. This is the image I want you to have in your head. Get this picture in your head. I want you to remember the smile on their face when they saw you there. You got it? All right, now with that image in mind, I want you to hear these words from a high school teenage boy that plays basketball in Gainesville, Texas. He said, my parents came to one game, but they didn't come to the other ones because they didn't have the time. Another player from that same team said, usually our fan base was close to zero. I don't know about you. I don't think I've ever showed up to any of my kids' events, programs, recitals, sporting events. I don't think I've ever walked in and seen that their side of the gym was empty or that the stands were empty or that no one came to see them perform or dance or sing or act or do whatever it is they do. Like every time I've showed up for anything like that for my kids, anytime I've been there for maybe one of your kids, man, it's always been a packed house. In fact, sometimes it's hard just to find a seat because there's so many people that are there. Everybody comes to watch our kids. And because of that, it's like, you know, you're, you're trying to figure out, it, 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 it can even be like for practice. You ever seen this? I mean, I'll take my kid to practice sometimes. And there's lawn chairs set up. Everybody's wanting to watch practice. It's not even game time yet. People are showing up. I can't imagine what it would be like for these kids, these teenage boys from Gainesville to show up to game week after week and no one be there to cheer them on. The fact of the matter is it wasn't just that their parents rarely, if ever, came to see them play. Their friends didn't even come. Nobody came. Their friends wouldn't even show up. And that's because... It's because the students at the Gainesville Juvenile Correctional Facility weren't allowed to leave campus. In fact, uh, one of the perks for very, very, very good behavior was that these basketball players, a few times throughout the year, got to leave campus to play the game that they love. But when they came to play, nobody was there to cheer them on. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that must have felt like to be a a kid on a team like that where no one ever came, your mom, your dad, your friends, family, nobody ever showed up to cheer you on. That that was the story for the Gainesville Tornadoes until, until they played against the Vanguard Vikings out of Waco, 
Texas. Two of the Vanguard players by the names of Hudson Bradley and Ben Martin said they had an idea. I mean, they couldn't imagine this. They couldn't imagine, you know, playing, uh, you know, in front of empty stands. And so they did something that, that, that had never been done before for this team from, from Gainesville. They sent a message out to their fans and they said, hey, we got a game coming up this weekend, but here's what we need you to do. We want half of you to come and cheer for us like you always do. But the other half, we want to ask you to cheer, to cheer for the opposing team. We want you to cheer for for the Gainesville Tornadoes. Can you, can you imagine what this must have been like for these young men? They're coming on to, to the basketball court once again. They're leaving the locker room, but this time as they exit the locker room and they're coming onto the court, they've got their own cheerleaders and they've made a tunnel for them to run out under as they run onto the basketball court. They look over on their side of the gym. The, the stand's are full. There's people wearing t-shirts that say Gainesville Tornadoes. They've got signs they're holding up, cheering them on. As they're running up and down the court during the game, these fans have, have figured out their names and they're calling them and cheering for them by name. Every time one of the players from the Gainesville Tornadoes scores a point, the crowd goes wild. It's insane. They've never experienced anything like this before. When the game is over, one of those players from Gainesville said this. He said, when I'm an old man, I'll still be thinking about this game. Hudson Bradley, one of those, one of those players for Vanguard that helped come up with this idea, he said this, and this is so good. He said, we all need someone to believe in us. We all need someone who knows our mistakes and loves us anyway. Those words were spoken by a teenage boy who gets it. In 2017, there was a movie called Wonder. You may have seen it. It's about a, a little boy named August. And uh, August is a little bit different than the other kids in his class. But he's got a teacher named Mr. Brown. And every, every month, Mr. Brown puts a different precept up on his chalkboard for the kids to read and to think about. And in September, this is the precept that Mr. Brown put up on his board. He said, when given the chance or the choice between being right or being kind, be kind. And on this particular night, these players from Vanguard, these teenage boys playing for this high school team in Waco, Texas, they made the decision. They made the choice to be kind. And it made a difference. It made a lasting impact on these boys from Gainesville. We live in a world, and you know this, you know, like, you know this like I know this. We live in a world where more often than not, people, people would rather be right than be kind. In fact, if we're being honest, if you want to just get real honest, a lot of us, we would rather be right than be kind. The world we live in is full of people, and sometimes we can be this way too, again, if we're just being, if we're just being honest. We live in a world where so many people are selfish, self-centered self-consumed, entitled. We want what we want. We want things our way. We want to be right. We, want, we act and we behave like the world revolves around us. This is the culture we live in. It's a, it's a, it's a selfish kind of culture, is it not? This is, just, this is how it is. And more often than not, that's kind of how we live. We want our way. We want to be right. We want what we want. And we don't often think about what somebody else might need. As far as I know, there wasn't a single adult from Vanguard 
not a single parent, not a single teacher, administrator, even though I'm pretty sure those are the adults that probably planned this game. They knew that it was on the schedule. They knew it was coming. They knew what was going to happen. Not a single one of them had the thought or the idea that here's going to be a team of boys for which no one was going to show up to cheer them on. It was two of the teenage boys from Vanguard, from the basketball team that said, hey, I think we need to do something about this. I think we need to change this. I think we can make this a night that these guys, despite the outcome of the game, this is going to be a night they will never forget if we do something to make a difference tonight for these boys. They did that. And when we hear stories like this, you know how this works. We're reminded of the power Reminded of the possibility, reminded what, what can happen when we choose to be a little bit different and we choose to think of somebody else for a change, somebody other than ourselves. And the problem with all of this is that what happens, and I think this is unintentional. In fact, I'm, I'm 100% sure this is unintentional. But what happens, the problem with all of this is what happens is that we're raising our kids, are we not? We're raising our kids to be self-centered Selfish, self-consumed, and entitled. Because you're raising them to believe that they have a right to be happy. We're raising them to believe that they should have what they want. And what's worse, and I know our intentions are pure, but we've taught them, they've learned this from watching us. We've taught them that we will leverage our time, our money, our influence to help them be happy and to help them get whatever it is they want. But the outcome of that, what that produces, and I know this is not what we want to produce, but you know, you've seen this, you know what happens. The outcome of this, what this produces is self-centered, selfish, self-absorbed, entitled kids. And I know that's not what you want. It's not what I want. And I want to raise kids, and I know you do too, right? That want to be humble and kind kids who have eyes to see the needs of those around them and the courage to act on that, to do something, to make a difference, to help somebody else. How do we do that? How do we raise the next generation to have eyes that are open to see the needs of those around them? How do we raise kids? How do we have sons and daughters who think, hey, here comes a team and they've got nobody to cheer for them. I think we can fix that. Let's do something. Let's make a difference tonight. How do we raise kids who have this ability to see beyond themselves? And to put others and others' needs ahead of their own. To ask the question, what do they need and how can I help? What's interesting is I think the antidote for this self-centeredness that's so prevalent in our culture is right at the center of our faith. If you've got your Bible, if you've got the Version Bible app, I'd love to invite open up to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians, this is another letter written by the Apostle Paul to this church in, in Asia, in modern-day Turkey. He wrote this to this little church who was struggling to figure out what it means and what it looks like to follow the way of Jesus in a day and a time and a culture that was, was not that different from our own day, time, and culture. A culture that was self-absorbed, self-centered, a culture that, that found every reason in the world to draw dividing lines between people and people and between people and God. And so what, what Paul does in this letter, one of the things he's trying to communicate to them is that what happened at the cross changes absolutely everything forever. And one of the things that changes is that now 
Now there's, there's no division among us. Like literally the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And so now because of what Christ did at the cross, there's, there's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male or female. No, no, now we are all one in Christ. There is no Vanguard Viking and Gainesville tornadoes. No, what, what brings us together, what unites us, is greater than anything that could ever come between us. And he wants this, this group of early Christ followers, this group of, of Christians living some 2,000 years ago to understand what happened at the cross. And what, what happened at the cross? Well, Jesus set us free from sin. Yes, absolutely. But what happened at the cross isn't just about what, what Christ set us free from. It's what we've been set free for. And I want you to see what Paul writes here in Galatians 5. You get down to verse 6, and he says it. He, this is his bottom line for the whole letter. This is, this is what matters most. He says, what is most important, what matters most? This is it. It's faith expressing itself in love. What matters most? Faith expressing itself in love. What matters most? If you were to ask most of us on most days of the week that weren't called Sunday, if you were to go into your office tomorrow or go to your friends at school and say, what matters most? I think we would know what the answer would be, right? What matters most? Winning. What matters most? Being right. What matters most? Getting my way and getting it right away. Like, this is what matters most. Actually, no, that's not what matters most, church. You know what matters most? This is what matters most. What matters most, what really matters most, what's most important is this. It's our faith. It's what we believe. Finding a way, intangible ways to express that in love to those around us. This, this is what matters most. You ever have these conversations with your family? We, we were talking about this last night with our girls around the dinner table asking this question. We, we talk about this from time to time. It just kind of comes up from time to time for different reasons. But th this was on my mind, so I wanted to go ahead and ask them last night this question again. I said, you know, what does it mean to be a Trevathan, you know? Sometimes we talk about this, you know, we're driving down the road and something's happened and we're like, well, this is what it means to, to be a Trevathan. And, and, and it's not just that this is what matters to, to me and your mom, but this was true of your grandparents. This is true of your great grandparents. Like this is just in our DNA. This is who we are. This is what it means to belong to, to be a part of this family. And it was fun last night to hear them get to share the different words and phrases that came to mind for them. And I told them I wouldn't share those with you. It was just a kind of a, a family conversation, but it was a really sweet moment to hear some of the things that they were sharing with us. And I was just uh, in awe of what they had kind of learned. But you know how this works, right? Like for them to understand what it means to be a part of our family, like Alicia and I have to talk about this, absolutely. But it's not just that. We have to, we have to model it. You have to live this stuff out in front of them for them to really get it. You've probably heard this before. It's somebody said this when, when, when you're raising kids, more often than not, it, it, what they learn, it's, it's caught rather than taught, right? Like it's, you, you have to tell them absolutely, but you also have to, to live it out. If we don't, if we tell them, if Felicia and I tell them what this means to be a part of our family, but we don't live it out, then those words have no foundation. They have no basis. It has no, no, no bedrock, no framework to stand on, right? We have to live that out in front of them. John Maxwell once said it this way. He said, you can teach your kids what you know, but you reproduce what you are. And I think he's right. And so when, when Paul is writing this message, this letter to these early Christians some 2,000 years ago, he wants them to remind them absolutely of what Jesus said, what Jesus taught, 
But not just that, he wanted them to understand what Jesus wants to produce or reproduce in us. So skip down in chapter 5 to verse 13 and listen to what Paul writes next. He says this, you have been called. This is the calling on your life as a follower of the way of Jesus. You've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. That's what you've been set free from, not what you've been set free for. This is what you've been set free for. You've been set free instead to use your freedom for this purpose, for this singular purpose, to serve one another in love. In fact, the whole law, everything that we know that's been revealed in Scripture about who God is, the nature of God, and what God wants for our lives, it can all be summed up in this one command, this one phrase, this one line, love your neighbor as yourself. And you probably know those words aren't Paul's words, are they? Those are the words of Jesus. Over and over and over again, Jesus taught his disciples, this is what matters most. This is what's most important. It's loving God and it's loving others. Jesus said, the world will know that you are my disciples, that you belong to me, that you follow me. How? By your love, for your love. Jesus went on to say, greater love has no man than this, that that one lay down his life for his friends. But Jesus didn't just teach that, did he? No. He spoke those words And then a few days later, he demonstrated those words. When he died on a cross, he gave his life as a sacrifice for you and for me. And why did Jesus do that? Because Jesus knew and Jesus knows something we're still trying to catch up to. We're still trying to wrap our hearts and minds and lives around. Others matter. People matter. The way of Jesus, the way of the cross is sacrificially serving those around us in love. It's our faith finding ways to express itself in love in tangible ways to those around us. And this is so different than the world we live in. On the one hand, our world drives us to self-promotion. On the other hand, it drives us to self-preservation. But Jesus says his way. There's a third way to live. And it's the way of sacrificial love. It's the way of laying down your life over and over and over again for those around you, always looking to the needs of others, putting others ahead of yourself, loving each other within the church, loving our neighbors, practicing hospitality. And what's really interesting is that the church in its very beginning was known for this kind of radical love. Early on in the second and third centuries when plagues were sweeping across the empire, People were literally putting women and children out on the streets who had the plague, who had this virus, to die. It was the Christian community that went out and took these people, these women and children, into their own homes, even though it meant risk, exposing themselves and their families to this same virus, this same plague, whatever it was. But they were willing to do that, to help them, to feed them, to nurse them, to heal them, to provide for them. Why? Because of the same kind of radical love that Jesus talked about and demonstrated at the cross. In that same time frame, people in in the empire would, would throw out unwanted babies, these infants. They would put them out in the streets, leave them in the woods, put them on garbage heaps. 
And it was the Christian community, Christian men and women, before there was such a thing as Christian works, these were the people, this was the original Christian works, right, who were going out and finding these Christian, or finding these, these infants, these unwanted babies, bringing them into their homes, feeding them, clothing them, nursing them, caring for them, raising for them. Why? Because. Because of all the things that they heard Jesus say. Because of all the things that they heard about. Jesus do. This had the greatest impact on their lives. That the way of Jesus is the way of sacrificial love. It's the way of, of allowing your faith, what you believe, to manifest itself and express itself in loving, tangible, actionable ways. And they took this calling on their lives so seriously. Like they believed that what happened at the cross set them free. And they leveraged their freedom in Christ to love in a radical way. You want to know why the church grew so quickly in those early days? I can tell you why. People have never, ever seen a group of people love like this. And that kind of sacrificial love, it changes absolutely everything. What was true 2,000 years ago was true today. People more often than not, you hear it all the time. You got to look out for number one. You got to take care of yourself. But that's not the way of Jesus. How do you teach your kids to live this way? Because let me tell you, it's a different way to live. How do we raise the next generation to have this kind of heart this kind of desire, this kind of concern that leads them to courageous action, to, to love and to serve those around them in this kind of way. To be honest, I think it all comes down to this. If your faith doesn't make a tangible, practicable, practical, meaningful difference in your life, let's be honest, it will never make a difference in theirs either. If your faith, think about this, doesn't make a real, tangible, practical, quantifiable, observable difference in your life, it probably won't ever make a difference in their life either. We can teach our kids over and over and over and over again what it means to believe in Jesus, what it means to believe Jesus. We can, we can have classes and Bible classes every Sunday, and I'm glad we do, and I hope we'll do that forever and ever. We can raise them up, teaching them the truth of what we, what we believe, the stories of faith that have been passed on to us that we want to pass on to them. But you know like I know, information by itself seldom if ever leads to transformation. No, what has to happen is we have to put them, we have to put them in the game. They have to have an opportunity to experience what it's like to put faith in action, to see our faith, but also to allow their faith to express itself in love. It's why it's so important, church. And we do this so well on so many levels, but I think it's also so easy to forget. We can send our kids on mission trips to Honduras and Mexico, and I'm glad we do, and I would love to see that expand 10x. Honestly, I'd love to see every person that belongs to our church on a mission trip whether it's here in Dallas or halfway around the world, the Med Rim, I mean, let's go. Boots on the ground. Why? 
Because you know like I know, the greatest opportunity for change happens through experience. And we can talk about it all day long. But until we make a decision to make a move, nothing will ever change. It's why it's so important. Even if you're going across the street to take a plate of cookies, if you're going to deliver food to somebody who just came home from the hospital, don't ever go alone. Don't leave your kids at home playing video games. Take them with you. Why? Because they need to see, they need to experience what it looks like to see faith expressing itself in love. Information doesn't lead to transformation. Experience does. And real faith is forged in the real experience of life. And if we're going to have an opportunity to raise up the next generation of Jesus followers, who are going to have an opportunity to make a real difference in this world, it's going to happen when we open the door for them to have an experience, to put faith into action. I'm so grateful for those people, those men and women however many years ago it was here that we're a part of this church who started Christian Works. And I hope more of our kids will grow up and they'll get involved in that organization. We're in another organization. Honestly, I hope they'll start even newer organizations, things that haven't even been thought of yet to help and to serve our community and our world and children and people who are hurting and who need help. How does that happen? That happens when we keep opening the door for them to see This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's faith expressing itself in love. It's serving those around us in love. It's putting others first. It's having eyes to see that what matters most isn't me. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's never been. Honestly, maybe this week, maybe this is the call of action for you. What if as a family you just decided to push pause on something you had planned? time that you were going to spend elsewhere, money you were going to use to do something that was going to be good for you, and you decided to sacrifice that and give that time away. Give that money away. Go do something for somebody else so that your kids can see you sacrificing and putting your faith in action, in service, out of love for somebody else. You want to talk about an experience that will change their life for the rest of their life? This is how it works. But it doesn't happen on accident. It takes intention, and it takes us being willing to put our faith into action. Church, if you would, let's stand. What does it mean to be a Trevathan? What's it mean to be a Florin? What's it mean to be a Cates? What's it mean to be a Wadlington, a Jackson? What's it mean to be a McBride? What's it mean to be a Shoemate? What's it mean to be a Christian church? It means we put our faith into action. It means we choose to be kind. It means we serve those around us in love. May we live out those words and those precepts with the people around us this week.